This is for the rule breakers, the rebels, those who aren't afraid to shake up the status quo. If you're living your life your way, or if you're not, but like listening to people who are, this podcast is for you. It's never too late to learn how to ruin your own reputation. Welcome to How to Ruin Your Own Reputation, the show where I talk to people who are living lives that some people don't quite understand, and they're doing it unapologetically. Today, we are talking about something that I'm, I'm very excited to talk about. I think it's incredibly important and very misunderstood. We're going to be talking about sex work. And make no mistake, sex work is work. And even though it's been around forever and will be around forever, it's still stigmatized and demonized, and it, it should be legitimized. And we are going to talk today about why it's so important for it to become fully decriminalized. As always, when I talk about a complicated issue, I like to have on an expert. And today is no different. Today, I'm lucky enough to have on Willow. Willow describes herself as a Canadian whore who is passionate about sex, sex work, sex workers' rights, and the dismantling of the patriarchy. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? She's an advocate and an activist. And we're just going to jump in right now because there's a lot to talk about. So thank you. Willow for being here and welcome to How to Ruin Your Own Reputation. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So I think what's important that we just start off by sort of introducing yourself and let people know how long you've been in the sex work industry and what what got you into it originally. It's been off and on. Um, Like I first entered the industry when I was 21. I'm 37 now, but I haven't been in the industry uh, for that entire time. I've now been back in the industry and doing it as my career since 2014, so a lot of years. I first entered the industry for the same reasons that most people do. I was just looking for a way to make quick money and a lot of money uh, to support myself. I was a single mother and a university student, so yeah, the appeal was that it was good pay for a low time commitment and something that's flexible that I could work into my life. And so that's uh, what enticed me into the industry. The reason why I'm still in the industry is that I've grown to love the work and I do find it fulfilling and I find that it suits my life in a way that more traditional work doesn't. And I think that's really interesting because I think with any kind of sex work, there is this idea that everyone who's involved in it is is the same and doesn't want to be there. And I think it's, I just find it interesting. You've said before, I know that that you, this is your career. And, and I like how you put that. There are some people who it isn't. It's, it's a means to an end. It's something that they're doing to get, to get enough money to move on to something else. Um, And I like, I respect that you're, again, very unapologetic about the fact that, no, this this works for you. Just like other things work for other people, this works for you. Has it changed a lot or at all from when you started to now as far as how things work, how things feel safe or unsafe? The the laws, have they changed a lot? The laws themselves haven't really changed in my time how I operate within the (laughs) industry has changed pretty much always been um, heavily stigmatized and the industry itself is criminalized even if sex workers aren't officially criminalized the industry is criminalized so okay and I think I think that's something that most people would not understand because I know we've spoken previously and, and I think a lot of the rules, I know a lot of the rules and the laws made around this are not based on fact or research. They're based on feelings and people have a weird feeling when it comes to sex work. It just, it feels wrong because we've been told it's wrong. And so why would we want to make something that's wrong legal? And that's it, that that's where such a, there's such a misconception around that or thinking that, oh, if it's legalized, then that opens the door for sex trafficking, which is, we're talking about two completely different, different things. So I think what would surprise people to know is if you could explain 
how it's not a crime to sell sex, but it's a crime to buy it. And that's not the right, that's not a great way to say it, but (laughs) can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. yeah. So it's um, the way that the laws exist in Canada functions very similar to the Nordic model. Um, which is the idea that sex workers are exploited people that need to be protected and that sex work clients are criminal predators that we need to be protected from. Um, The law itself was uh, enacted by a former conservative government in Canada I believe in 2012, and it was the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act. And so the idea was to criminalize the buyers, the clients, um, and decriminalize the sellers. But within that, there are still laws around how, how sex work can be negotiated and how it can be advertised and things like that, which keep it very underground, which makes it harder for sex workers, especially street-based sex workers, to effectively Mm. negotiate with the clients before going off with them or getting in their car or meeting them or whatever, because the act of that negotiation is illegal. So... Oh, yeah, (laughs) it's very convoluted. So in effect, it makes consensual sex workers less safe. And yeah, the idea that that sex work itself needs to be criminalized in order for trafficking to be criminalized is just complete bullshit. There are laws against trafficking. They are separate from this act. And any form of criminalization of the industry just drives all of it further underground. So it in fact actually doesn't do anything to decrease human trafficking within the industry. And it's just simply not the only industry that human trafficking occurs within. It's just the only industry that it occurs within where people's response is, well, we should criminalize the industry itself. Yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing because it's supposed to, again, the, the, the PCEPA that you talked about, it's supposed to, says in there, to the protection of exploited people. But, but what it's doing, it's, it's all, all it sounds like it's actually doing is just trying to abolish sex work. It's not trying to protect sex workers because saying, okay, you can sell it, but nobody's allowed to buy it and you're not allowed to advertise it. If you were talking about anything else, it's the most ridiculous thing. And, and as you said, it makes it less safe because I, again, I don't think people understand that if it is illegal for somebody to hire a sex worker, let's say, if they are going to get in trouble, they're afraid that they're going to get in trouble, then you can't do proper screening because they're not going to give you the information that you need to make sure that you're safe. Correct? So how is that, how is that keeping you safe? Or like you said, also the most dangerous type of sex work is the street sex work, but yeah, no, so now you've got to go to a dark place. Now you've got to go and make sure there aren't police officers around. So forget going to police officers for help because now you're, so there's the risk of, of getting arrested. Be, you can't be seen having that negotiation with the client. So if a client is pulling up in a car, you have you just to get in, you just get into that car <sighs> without properly Because like so much of screening is not just the voluntary information that's given to you by the client. So much of it is your intuition, your... I was going to say, your gut. The little details. And you don't have time to actually assess the safety of that client. You don't have time to assess or determine that you guys are in agreement about what acts are going to occur between you. You don't have time for any meaningful or real consent or screening to happen. So it's incredibly dangerous. Um, And then when you have the criminalization of those types of communication, then you're also putting the more most vulnerable sex workers in danger of being harassed or being arrested or being 
anything abused by the police who then have that power over them. Um, which is talking- we advocate for decriminalization rather than legalization because we don't want it to be regulated by the police. The police have a history of being abusive to sex workers and they have a history of being abusive mm-hmm. to racialized people, to trans people, mm-hmm. to people. So sex work is disproportionately um, comprised of people from those marginalized communities. There are so many layers that make the police unfriendly to sex workers. So we don't want it to be something that's regulated by police, things where there's a lot of hoops um, for sex workers to jump through, which then create barriers for the more marginalized people. And these are the people who opt to participate in sex work often for survival reasons because they can't obtain gainful employment without being discriminated against because they can't, you know, support their families in more traditional ways um, or because they have barriers to the access to resources, to education, to things like that. They turn to sex work because it's a meaningful way to um, actually meaningfully financially support yourself or your family. So we don't want to see those people being then exploited by the law. It's not just sex workers who advocate for that decriminalization on an international scale, like Amnesty International, um, based upon the research that they have done about what makes safer, makes sex workers safer and also helps reduce rates of human mm-hmm. trafficking. It's 100% decriminalization. So yeah, you're absolutely correct when you say that the laws that exist are based on emotions and um, reactions and not on facts, logic, or research at all. Um, they're directly contradictory to those things. Um, and it almost it almost sounds like they're trying to say look, the government is trying to say to to sex workers look I'm doing something we're trying to we're trying to protect you when really again like I said at the beginning it's almost like they're trying to get rid of it and the thing is this and, and always correct me if I'm wrong but the way if, if they want to get rid of the idea of sex work you don't get rid of sex workers that's like saying we want to get rid of homelessness so we're going to make it illegal to be homeless like that's not how it works it's it's going it's help with help the reasons that like you just said that make it difficult for people to gain to to make a living for themselves and for their family go to those things go to poverty go to abuse go to the things that are contributing and making it so difficult for people to do something else but to attack the people who are just trying to survive as a way of getting rid you're not going to get rid of the reasons and the necessity for it so it seems it seems cruel And when you criminalize things, then you're then putting further barriers, because then if people have records of these things, how are Mm. they use other avenues? That's such a great point. And it's like, it just, yeah, I mean, I, I would love a world where only people who want to be participating in the industry are participating in the industry. But I mean, that's very idealistic. And when we look at the capitalist system as a whole, how many people would be participating in their jobs if they didn't feel like they needed to for survival? How many people don't feel exploited by the companies that they work for or Mm -hmm. the system as a whole? How many people feel valued as individuals, feel empowered within the labor that they perform? it's the system as a whole that's disempowering. And yeah, it's, it's, the thing is, is that it's the one industry that flips the gender pay gap on its head. It's the one industry with low barriers to entry where people, women, femmes, they make good money and often are working for themselves. And when you look at um, some of the barriers that people face to 
other forms of employment, whether it's mental health or physical disability, having children that need to be cared for and children's schedules that need to be taken care of. Like it's a career where you literally can make it fit into your life really well. So it is very appealing as a single mother, as somebody who suffers from CPTSD. For my mental health, it's hard to be able to work a typical nine to five Mm -hmm. and show up every day. And sometimes my mental state is less predictable. So it's nice to have something that I can be able to afford the things that I need, like therapy in order to work on my personal well-being, but also afford myself the time to do that. Um, And really, who's to say, who's to say that that's not okay? It's, I mean, when you really, when you break it down the way you just did, right, to say to somebody, well, what you're doing isn't, isn't healthy. Well, no, because doing a nine to five and trying, that would not be healthy for you. So if this is, then, then just, and again, I don't even think it's somebody who actually believes, I think it's somebody who's feeling their own, oh, I couldn't do it. So if I couldn't do it, then nobody else should should feel comfortable doing it. And and my background that that I have some experience in stripping, uh, and my situation was different. I mean, I, I was married and it was different. However, I will say that it I I got it. Like I I totally understood that. I also I wanted to be home with my kids, so I needed something where I can make money, so I can contribute to the household. I couldn't get a normal job because I was home with the kids. I wanted to be there with them, so I need. What could I do where I can make money? but do it while the kids were sleeping. Right. Well, that was something I could do. You know, I couldn't work at a store that wasn't going to fit into the, or else I'd have to put the kids in daycare and then I'm paying, I'm working to put the kids in. It didn't. So, so to me, I, I mean, again, I, I get it. Like it just, it does make sense. And if people have a problem with that being the kid, well then change that, then make it easier for the rest of us to sort of find a different way to work. But, but what, what amazed me too, is when I was researching it, you look at places like the Netherlands, for example, I mean, it's considered, it's, it's an occupation. I mean, they're, they get, it's like a taxable occupation and they get health benefits and it's really seen completely differently than it is here. And, and all the research shows that that is the, cause it's completely decriminalized there. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it, it does work. It's not that, this is kind of a pie in the sky kind of thing. Oh, if we, if oh, it'll be all hell's going to break loose if we decriminalize it. Actually, is being done in other places. Yeah, successfully. New- really, a good example. New Zealand has the stats to show what happens when you fully decriminalize the industry, and sex workers are safer. Sex workers feel safer. It makes complete sense to decriminalize it, but. Again, it comes down to people's emotional reactions and to misogyny. Like, it's really rooted in misogyny. Um, The idea of women being able to own their sexuality in that way. Most people, including legislators, are consuming sex work, the product of sex work, on a regular basis. Like, most people are consuming porn and porn Mm -hmm. is part of sex work. Mm -hmm. And so essentially those people, when they're criminalizing or keeping criminalized other forms of sex work, they're saying like, you can't have sex with someone for money, but if we can watch you do it, then you can. If I can jerk off to it, that go right ahead that's fine it's just complete bullshit like it's there's so much hypocrisy and it just it makes zero sense who am i hurting by providing a sexual service for money and i'm gonna even take it a step further than that because i say all the time too forget even about porn i say that we've been sexualized as women from the get-go. I mean, through, if you look at r- mainstream media, mainstream advertising, and there has always been, I can remember being very little and seeing teenage girls who looked, who were made up to look like they were in their twenties, wearing nothing, selling everything. But again, to your point, 
we could be sexualized as long as it's making the company money. It's as long as it's making the, the, the men money that own the company. We yeah. can be sexualized. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Absolutely. Whatever it is, we can be sexual. However, if you're a woman and you're, if it's OnlyFans, if it's porn, if it's whatever it is, if you're saying, okay, if it's my body, I'm going to, I'm going to use my own body, but I'm going to keep the money. Then we're sluts. Then, then it's, <gasps> then that's wrong. Right. Or it's either, it's either we're bad. You're, you're a slut for doing that. Or, oh, you, you, you're, you don't even realize how you're being victimized. You don't even realize, which is so unbelievably and condescending. that's the part that comes from both sides of the political spectrum. That's the part where you even have people who identify as feminists who right. you know, believe in the autonomy of women, but when it comes to other women having autonomy over what they do with their bodies, suddenly they no longer believe that you're capable of making those decisions mm-hmm. for yourself and they should make them based on their own personal morals and values around sex. Yeah, it's p- complete bullshit because whether or not we opt into it as women and femmes, we are sexualized and objectified, whether or not we're in advertisements or modeling, whether or not we're mm-hmm. tra- we can post a general selfie and we're going to be sexualized and objectified. We can walk down the street and we're going to be catcalled and we're going to be experiencing that. Mm-hmm. So it's going to happen whether or not we want it to in the patriarchy that we exist in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I choose to capitalize on that. I choose to profit from it. It didn't make it my choice. Which is really, that's the fight that we're, we've had before and, and we continue to have now. It's, it's this amazing thing how women are never allowed to have autonomy over their bodies. It's, I was listening to what you said. And when you say even posting a selfie, even with that, you're going to get, you're going to get either, oh, she's so hot or, mm-hmm. oh, she's so seeking attention. She's so insecure. She needs, like, it's never just, she posted a picture. Like I, and I always say, like, I always celebrate anybody's selfie. Cause to me, I find that, that a lot of women, a lot of people, but a lot of women don't feel good enough about themselves to post a picture. So if you post a picture, it means that in that moment you felt good about yourself. And that's, I'm always going to celebrate that, but there's going to be, there's so many people who would judge it. Mm-hmm. So many people who would judge it. And it's just like, can I not just, there's, if there's nothing else on this planet that I own, my body is, that's it right? That is it. And I think that the fact that, that there are so many people trying to still own it and is, or tell us what to do with it is just, it's so frustrating. And something you said earlier too, about how, when there's, there's the whole criminal thing around it and you carry that with you. So if you have a woman who is doing it temporarily, she's doing it to get out of a rut, she's doing it to make money, to school, whatever it is. And then she wants to move on to something how much harder is it for her to move on to some, to get out of the life and to do something else if she's going to put on her job application that she was a sex worker and that can, it so it's 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 so making it so much harder as a sex worker completely in the shadows and constantly fear being outed being identified being caught she has to keep it secret from the people in her life who could maybe facilitate her doing it more safely, like with a check-in process, with anything. She has to not have people know what she is doing in order to protect that her reputation from the stigma that exists because it can close doors and cause barriers for her in pursuing what she wants to pursue in her life. And that is the state that the majority of sex workers exists within. And that's the state that I existed within for many years, because it's not even just about what doors it can close career-wise or, or school-wise. It literally is about how you will be treated by mm-hmm. other people, including the people who matter to you because of how stigmatized it is in in society, which is another reason that it's so important to decriminalize it because having any criminalization of the work, it just promotes that stigma that exists. It, it, 
makes people look down upon sex working women. And that is what makes the work dangerous is the fact that we are seen as bad women for doing this work and bad women are supposed to have or should expect to have bad things happen happen. and predatory men because the reality is that predatory men don't just exist within the sex work industry most women and girls will have some negative experiences with predatory men in their lifetimes without any participation in sex work or the industry whatsoever. Um, Predatory men exist in our society. The fact that sex work workers are often the targets of predatory men is not just by nature, like it's not just inherently that we do sex work and sex work is dangerous. It's that we are looked down upon and stigmatized by society, by the law and the people that enforce it. And that stigma makes us primary targets for predatory mm-hmm. men. And when you look at like historically, like within Canada, we had a serial killer out in BC years ago and he was able to, uh, it's Robert Picton. So I don't know if you've heard. Yes. Yeah. And he got away with what he was doing for so long because the women that he was victimizing were usually drug addicted street-based sex workers. So when they were missing, people didn't care. The police didn't care. When things happened to us, People don't guess as fully human. We're not the same as other women. We're not good victims. So that makes us great victims for predators. Right, right. It's easier to go after, to go after. Likely to get away with doing it to a sex worker than to a non-sex worker. Yeah, the police are not going to be looking as hard for somebody who's targeting sex workers or drug addicts than they are for somebody who goes missing in suburbia. They're just, they're not, they're not going to. So it feels much safer. Too, like a lot of them were indigenous women, right? So even without the sex worker component, indigenous women are also uh, less valued by our legal system and our society. So they're also primary targets. And then people who um, are addicted to substances, the same thing. It's a dehumanization that happens because of the stigma and because mm-hmm. of criminalization. So trying to protect, so going again, back to that whole farce, in my opinion, about the pact that's supposed to protect the exploit, ex- people who are exploited, it's, it's, it's actually having the worst effect on the people who need the help the most. So the people who are marginalized from marginalized communities, the people, transgender people, all the people who need our protection the most and the help the most are the ones that are suffering the most from the laws that they're saying are created to protect them. So, right. and, and, and if you don't know, if you're not in it, then, then you don't know that this is the case. It's, it sounds the name of it. Again, just the fact that it's the protection of exploited sounds great if you're not, if you don't know what that means, but if you're in it, you know that it's, it's so dangerous. And I know that you were saying also, so it's, it's illegal to buy it. It's illegal to advertise, right? So it's very strange. My understanding of the laws around advertising is that it's not actually a criminal activity to advertise myself, but to host my ad is a criminal activity within Canada, which is why um, the most commonly used advertising site in Canada is hosted in Hungary. The currency that we pay in is euros, but in order to even be able to pay that currency, we have to uh, use crypto. When you look at people who are working on the street who have a lot of barriers um, when it comes to being able to just navigate that process, to be able to advertise themselves online, 
it's a tricky process um, that just keeps them street-based. It's hard for them to post online. It's hard for them to move out of street-based work because of that. So, so you can't, because I feel like we've all seen ads in the back of something. Mm-hmm. So is it, is, so is it, is it that you can't do, okay, so I could go on the street and I could sell myself. However, if I'm, if I'm advertising myself no, you in a- can't communicate in public. Oh, oh, right. Otherwise, right. So that's why you get in the car quickly, which is- Yeah, you can't. Oh have- my God. So how do you, what do you- <laughs> Wow. So basically, ha- that doesn't- Right. I don't even know how that works. Solicitation and solicitation is criminalized. Okay. So that's- Wow. So what, I don't even know what you do. That's almost like you have to kind of see someone and kind of mental with mental telepathy kind of be like, make that, like it doesn't, it, it really doesn't make sense. So that's why it really is done secretly. Choice. As a street-based worker, you have oh, to decide wow. whether or not you're going with that client really quickly. So that gives you less time to pick up on the things that you need to pick up on or to which is what makes it less safe pushing for right. practices or yeah. Right. Cause you haven't been able to say, what are you expecting? This is what, this is what I'm offering. This is. And so there's so many opportunities for violence and for horrible things. So again, it's not the sex work that is making people vulnerable. It's not, it's not the sex work. It's the, it's the laws around the sex work. Because if you were able to do it openly. If you look at it, even as if you look at massage therapists, they're using mm. their bodies, touching other people's bodies right. for money. Many of them are working independently. Many of them are working out of their homes. They're bringing mm-hmm strange people into their homes into an intimate uh, they're stripping yeah 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 exactly it's an intimate body service that's being provided they're bringing people into their homes to do it strangers that Mm -hmm. they haven't and people aren't looking at it as like oh my god what the fuck are you doing that's so dangerous they don't that's dangerous because they don't see massage therapy clients as inherently dangerous they see sex worker clients as inherently dangerous but let me tell you the same clients that are going to see massage therapists are the same clients that are going to see sex workers the people who are our clients are not people who like just hide in back alleys (laughs) they are the people the men of society that's right they're teaching your kids they live next door to you you're related to them. They're legislating. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. overseeing court cases. They're these are the these are who our clientele are. Some of them could be predatory, dangerous men, but that's the reality of existing as a woman or femme in our society. Is we don't know who the predatory men are, but what we can do is not criminalize the people within the industry and the industry itself there just should be no laws around sex work sex work should not be something that is even mentioned in the criminal code human trafficking absolutely should and is and that is separate from the laws around sex work they are not dependent upon one another whatsoever Right. So, because again, you're talking about consent. You're talking about adult consensual sexual activity. And that, that example is great with the massage because you're right. You're having somebody, you're either going to their home or somebody's coming into your home. They're oftentimes strip. I did massage therapy for a little bit. They're stripping naked. You're touching them. So there's, I mean, really it's, it's the same kind of risk, but it's not, it's almost, it's like, it's funny. It's like a luxury. Whereas one is stigmatized as like awful. And then one is, and really it's, it's, the danger is still there. But if imagine if if you were a massage therapist and you weren't allowed to ask questions, you weren't allowed to do screening, you were just, you weren't even, like it would be, it's such a, when you think about it, it's really so illogical what they're doing. And I, I read somewhere too, where in some of the places where people used to advertise when you used to be, or that, that there were also forums that sex workers would use 
to talk to each other and to protect each other by giving each other information about people that they had been with to, to say who's dangerous or to share information. And that's not allowed anymore. So it, it, it really, um, again, it defeats the, the, the whole purpose. And, and, and it does go back a hundred percent. I mean, I think the two main things is the misogyny and the patriarchy for sure. And this, that feeling of, ew, I don't like that. It doesn't feel, I don't like, and it's, it's, very, very dangerous. I mean, we're seeing that in so many ways now in the government, especially in the States, making laws about other people's body based on what doesn't feel right for you is so, like, it, it's so mind blowing and wrong. It's hard to, to wrap your head around. Right. Now you do, I know you do advocacy work. I know the last time we spoke, you had just come from, from speaking and, um, is, do you feel like there are some, do you feel optimistic about changes being made? Are there a lot of people, I know you work with something called SWAN, which I'd like you to share about too, but do you think that there, there's more movement forward? Do you think there are more people starting to understand? Are the scales tipping a little yeah. bit? Yeah, I'm actually incredibly optimistic about the future in terms of just how uh, it will be perceived by society. I think that there's a huge shift generally, generationally mm-hmm. and younger generations are just simply way more open to the idea of people being able to live less conventionally and sure. just do what's right for them. The idea that sex work is just work. I do see a huge shift in that. I also think that a lot of the shift happens because of the internet and social media. And one thing that we see is that there are many other sex workers like myself who do identify publicly openly as sex workers. And in them doing so, it forces people to recognize our humanity. It forces people to just see us as people. And I think that that's the most important key in having that societal perspective shift is that you just have to have exposure. And Mm. there hasn't been a lot of exposure in the past because it is so dangerous. It is so scary for people to be open about it. Well, I think that is, it's such an amazing thing. I mean, it's, and I, I agree a hundred percent because if you look, oh my God, if you look at any anything we've seen in the media, movies and TV shows over the years, forever, it's always. I mean, there's never been really a, a, a pretty woman, which is ridiculous, you know. But aside from that, <laughs> I mean, sex work is is depicted a certain way. So I think the fact that, I mean, you have to realize that. By you saying, like, even when you sent me your description, you said, I'm a Canadian whore. It's just like, this is who I am. And and I've said before, and you know, I've said this before that I follow you on Twitter and I think you're very witty and I think you're very smart and you make me laugh all the time. Um, I, I think that's so great that you do that because it is showing another face. It is showing this mom, you know, who, who's got kids who are proud of her and, and it is showing this other side that we don't see enough. And I think that, that, that is the way we see that with everything, but the representation is huge. And to see, Oh, wait a minute. That's not at all. That's not what I was. That's not what I was expecting a sex worker. That's not what it at all. That's the first, that is the first step. And I think that that's, that's so important, but no one is going with anything. There's so much shame around everything that with, with you need people to start by saying, yeah, I do this. And I'm not ashamed for someone to go, oh my God, like, I don't have to be, I don't have to, or look, she's doing that and her world hasn't collapsed at all. Like that's, that's pretty major. Yeah. Yeah. I think that. (laughs) 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 I mean, no, certainly my world has not collapsed. If anything, my, my world has expanded in a really wonderful way. I think that personally, the growth that I've experienced in being able to live openly and authentically and truthfully, the burden of shame is so heavy. And the burden of secrecy is so heavy. The anxiety of hiding what you're doing, who you are, 
especially when it comes to people that matter to you is just so burdensome and it really prevents full real intimacy um, with people in your lives when you can't be authentic, when you are hiding behind lies and cover-ups and trying to keep your story straight, it puts huge barriers to Mm -hmm. the intimacy that you can experience in your personal relationships. So what I did find um, with opening up is there, there were people who drifted out of my life, but the, the relationships that I do have in my life are so much better. Um, They're so much deeper and my spirit is so much lighter, not carrying that burden around. And it's allowed me to now do the advocacy work that I do um, freely. And that is just so personally fulfilling for me. I've always been really into social justice work, um, Mm -hmm. but being able to do social justice work around sex work, reform, law reform, and and around destigmatization and supporting other sex workers and trying to make um, our work safer and our well-being better. I like that is so personally fulfilling for me. So being able to do that um, freely and openly and more effectively has been just so great for me on a personal level. But I'm able to do that again because, like I said, I am a career whore. I am. I don't have other aspirations um, for work. I don't have worries about doors being closed to me in those ways. I mean, I'm a middle-aged woman, so I guess I'm also at that point in my life where I don't care (laughs) so much about the Mm -hmm. approval of others (laughs) or living other people's standards and really just care about my personal integrity and my own fulfillment. But there, there certainly is still a cause like the the stigma still exists and I still have anxieties around it and I still worry that you know in doing the speaking out that I do especially in the way that I speak about the police and things I Mm. do Mm. worry about having my life interfered with I do worry about um, being harassed in those ways I do worry about having issues caused for me with regards to my my kids and things like that or spillover of stigma onto them there is a cost and I wish that there weren't but the benefits have definitely outweighed that and I do hope and I and I have heard from many other sex workers but even just non-sex working women that they they do feel inspired by seeing me be so authentic and real and having strong boundaries and asserting myself the way that I do that I think is wonderful and I I would love to see more of that and I hope that I hope that that does continue to grow and I do hope that that eventually people don't have to do that cost benefit analysis in order to be truthful well, I, absolutely. I mean, I think we shame anyone who knows me even a little bit knows I talk a lot about shame and how with me and releasing my book and, and talking about my past the way I did and, and the fact that, that I let shame keep me from living my life for decades, you know, because it's that fear. When you, when you say it, it keeps you from building these intimate relationships. I mean, I, anytime I would, and not even the dancing, it was other stuff. I, I, don't, I don't feel a ton of shame around the dancing. It was other stuff. But this feeling of, okay, how much do I have to tell them? And when do I tell them? And what are they going to think? And, and so it really keeps you at a, at a certain place. And then people, I have kids too. And it was, okay, you know, I call this podcast, How to Ruin Your Own Reputation. Because when I decided to release my book just two years ago, you know, my kids didn't know that I danced. My kids didn't know any of the, my sexual stuff. And I mean, they're not going to read my book, but they, it's in the title. So they know some, and it was me deciding, okay, you know what? I'm tired of running. I'm tired of running from my past. And you said it so well too. It, it's the secrets. It's the secrets around the shame that, that caused the most damage. It's not what we did. It's that 
fear of the secrets coming out. And that does the most damage. And shame is such a, it's such a, a, a useless thing that we, that we deal with. And I think that, that the more of us can come out, because I've had the same thing with you where people say, how are you so honest? And you know what it is? It's not, it's not that I'm so brave. It's just like, that's hot. It's tiring to try to hide. I found it just, it was hiring not being me that I felt like I'm going to be me and whatever happens, it's just, it just seemed, I was just exhausted. You know, you're in your thirties. I'm in my fifties. Like imagine holding on to that for more, like it's exhausting. So, and, and what I always say too, is for me being as open as I am about certain things, like I've had people say, you know, maybe you should tone it down because you don't know what you could be losing out on. Like you could be losing out on opportunities or, and I'm like, okay, but like, then they're not for me. Yeah. If I'm losing out on opportunities because I'm being too Marcy, then they're not for me. But I, I always say now, yeah. Then they're not. It's, they're not my people. And it's sort of like, like what you're doing, what you're saying, and it's why I relate, I really relate to you a lot, is that what I've been saying lately too is, okay, so if it's so much, like I, I don't care if I lose opportunities because I'm too me. What would suck is that if I lost the opportunity to speak to people or to do things because I was hiding who I was, but who I was would have been perfect. So in you speaking out and being so open, that if you weren't, then you couldn't be doing the work with sex workers that you could be, you couldn't be reaching out the way you could. So in being fully who you are, you are reaching the right people. And I, and I know that there are so many people forget it's, it has nothing to do with sex worker or anything like that. There's so many people who are dealing with shame on so many different levels for so many different reasons. And I think there's so much stigma around so many things and yeah. so much judgment. However, funny thing, because while I think there is so much judgment in our society, I think that we judge ourselves worse than anybody. And I think that we have this fear that if we tell the world who we really are, that it's going to collapse. And oftentimes we're, we're, it's, it won't because when we tell, when we say, this is what I did, there are usually some people who are going to go, Oh my God, me too. Mm-hmm. You know, and you realize that we're, we're not bad or, or, or we just had these interesting experiences and whatever. So um, I think speaking out the way that we all are is, is only helpful, even if it's a bit of a risk for, for those of us who are doing it. It's like you said, it's, it's kind of worth it. Well, and the thing is with shame is that it's useful in terms of if you feel an intrinsic internal shame. Um, for something that you've done because it doesn't align with your personal moral values, then that's a useful emotion that you can then course correct with. But if the shame that you're feeling is not internal in that way, and it's just internalized from external sources, and it has nothing to do with your own personal integrity or moral values, then it's completely useless. And if anything, it's, it is, it's just completely holding you back from any type of real success in anything. And yeah, I think that shame is a very, very relatable thing for people. Mm-hmm. Having a sense of shame, having a sense of having a shadow side or a secret side or the parts of yourself that you don't want people to see and judge you on and I think that the older I get the more I realize that the most happy I am is when I feel full ownership of all of myself and I accept myself and that's when people accept me Mm -hmm. well I've said if you're being accepted because you're hiding parts of yourself then you're not being accepted what your mask is being accepted, right? Being accepted. And if right. you're not being open and honest with who you are with people, then you're projecting also onto them. You are deciding without giving them an opportunity right. to respond to the real you. You're deciding and predicting a negative response and it's keeping you from giving them that opportunity to maybe pleasantly surprise you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, what you said is really important too, about there's a difference between 
saying, oh, I have no shame over everything. And, you know, the people will say, oh, I've had people say, oh, you, you know, you, you shouldn't regret anything, you know, regret it. And I'm like, no, that's not true. Like there are things that absolutely that I regret. I, I, I get it. I understand why I did those things, but I, especially if it hurt somebody else, I will always regret the things I did that hurt somebody else, even if it was inadvertently, but that's okay. I'm okay. I, I hope I never feel okay with that because I never want to feel that again. So I'm okay with regretting that. And I will carry that forever. I can't hate myself for it anymore. That's the difference. I used yeah. to hate myself for it. And you, yeah. you can, I can't. Yeah. But, but I, so I, as long as I understand why it happened, but to know I, I'd never do that. I'd never do that again. And, and to go back to your point also, you can't shame me for what I don't feel ashamed for. So if it's, we have to, as, just as individuals, we have to get to the point where we say, well, whatever we did, whatever, I don't feel shame. And then, it's so liberating because then what somebody else thinks of us, that's on you. Like, that's okay. You probably have your own shit around whatever it is that you don't like about me. That's on you. But that's certainly not going to keep me from doing whatever it is that I have to do. Shame is such a deep, deep tool and mechanism for control. Mm. And as long as you're operating in a place of shame of yourself, you are being controlled by external forces. You're living according to other people. You're living to the standards of other people. You're participating in the system as a cog in a very, <laughs> right the way that we're designed to in this society. And when you release yourself from that external shame, you aren't being controlled anymore. That's a really powerful thing. And I think that people that can do that can release themselves from that shame, who can live authentically and show up authentically. People that has a ripple effect in society. It's very healing. What's amazing is it's the people who should feel shame that usually feel no shame, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And it's the people that are carrying stuff with them that really need to let it go you know, it's, it's, we're the ones that are, are sort of beating ourselves up for stuff. But then there are people who have no shame, who are constantly, who are really doing things to hurt other people, you know, or who are only looking out for themselves. They feel no shame, but then, you know, so, it, it, but that's another whole thing with society too, about, you know, the, the, the sex worker is doing something bad, but the, the, the CEO who's cutthroat and who's tearing down somebody else through bit, but that's okay. Cause there's like, so it's such a, we live in such a messed up, fucked up society with that kind of thing yeah um but uh, but I that's why I really really wanted to talk to you about this because I do think that that there is so much of a misunderstanding around the laws there's so much of a misunderstanding about the safety about the work about the people involved about the police I mean there's so much to learn so what could somebody do if they want to get more educated is there where could they look or what could they get involved in or what kind of advice can you give In terms of just getting educated, I would just say listening to sex workers in general. There are many of us who are out there doing advocacy, speaking out about sex work. There are many of us who are just sharing our experiences online. So listening to sex workers, um, but also paying attention to what is happening on a legal front um so like within Canada right now there is that legal challenge that's happening in the uh provincial court in Ontario this superior court in Ontario and that's being done by a coalition of like 25 sex worker orgs from across Canada and then some individual sex workers as well it's just paying attention to what's going on and and voting accordingly, right? Making it an issue that you take into consideration, just like you want to take abortion into consideration Mm -hmm. or just like you want to take any other issue, make it an issue that you take into consideration. The biggest thing that individuals who aren't a part of the industry can do is just making sure that they are not personally contributing to the stigma against 
sex workers. And like, it's funny because most people will, will tell you that they don't know any sex workers personally, but I right. think that most people do know at least one sex worker personally. They just don't know that that person <laughs> is a sex worker because we exist in secret and we hide it. It's the same. I, I always use the comparison um, of just being gay. So people who want to come out to others as queer are often just monitoring for signs that somebody is going to be receptive or supportive of that or the opposite of that. They're looking at whether or not that person is making or laughing at jokes. about Mm. They're looking at that person's response to queer representation in media. They're looking at those kinds of things. And sex workers are doing the same thing. We're looking when we're deciding whether to disclose to someone what we do for a living or to use a cover story, we are generally just trying to gauge whether or not that person is going to be problematic or be supportive or ambivalent. And really, I guess the goal is ambivalence. I'd love to live in (laughs) It's just like, whatever. Because I, yeah, because the other problem is like the fetishization of our work that also exists. So people who want to be supportive or who are well-meaning but they're just so fascinated by it and they just want all the gritty details and they want to treat you like a zoo exhibit and you're just trying to get your hair cut (laughs) and so you're sitting down in that salon chair and this is the like thing that you're going over in your head you're like well do I want to lie to this person or do I want to possibly have to deal with being asked a million inappropriate questions or do I want to be treated like a pariah or you know like you're determine these things me personally because I'm at a point where I have no problems shutting down questions that I don't want to answer or I have no problems questioning people's questions and making them reflect and examine on the motivation for their questions and things like that, I can have a little bit of fun with it. And I like, I, I really don't care about stigma. I do not care if my Uber driver or my hairdresser sees me as whatever. I care about being treated with the basic decency and respect and getting the service that I want and they can think whatever they want about me and they can talk whatever shit they want to be I really don't care right for me I just personally usually say I'm a sex worker or I'm a whore I'm a hooker like when when I'm asked right and just let it (laughs) let it be whatever it's gonna be (laughs) and go from there but um, yeah but people are gonna be go ahead yeah Most won't. Most of us are going to only be revealing that to select few people that we have predetermined through extensive um, monitoring and like observing that they're going to be good about it. That's the for most sex workers. So I think the best thing that you can do is just making sure that you yourself do not like contribute to the stigmatization of the industry or the people within it, but also that you're just making sure that you do come across to people as being supportive of sex work. And, you know, like it's something that people are afraid to speak in support of Hmm. because they don't want to have that stigma put on them either. And if they're vocally supportive of the sex work industry, they are just getting a little dripping of that stigma onto them from the people who are adamantly opposed to it. So it keeps a lot of people from being vocal about it. And it also keeps a lot of people from being informed about it. I mean, I think what it comes down to is it's okay 
it's okay to have an opinion. Just make sure it's an educated opinion. Mm. And I and I think I think that's it. I mean, people form opinions and there's just now there's like we said, there's no facts around it. You can have your opinion, but but you know what? Do a little research around it. And yeah, just be a little self-aware because because if you're using your if you're if you have a strong opinion on something that you have no factual basis to have this opinion on and it's derogatory, mm-hmm. you're do, you are doing nothing good for society. You are not providing any service for society anyway. So either I, my thing is like, so either learn or shut the fuck up. Like don't, don't add to it by being mm. w- with anything. If you don't understand it, if you don't understand it, so it makes you uncomfortable either shut up about it or learn about it. I mean, really, with anything, oftentimes it's fear and it's discomfort and people don't like to be uncomfortable. Well, life is uncomfortable. So again, and it's important yeah. that you know? we, like, we all recognize, like we all exist within this society. We were all raised within this society and we have all been bombarded with messaging for our entire Forever. Life. Yeah. We internalize that messaging, whether we're conscious of it or not, Mm -hmm. which is why, like, when it comes to the issue of, like, racism, for example, we have to acknowledge that we have internalized some of that messaging. Like, we, as white people, don't want to say, yes, I've internalized racist messaging. Sometimes I'm going to have thoughts that are racist because of mm-hmm. that. And I have to actively be questioning those. I have to be actively examining that and examining my own thoughts, my own behaviors, how I interact with people, all of those things. We have to dismantle what was built in order to effectively address it. And just mm-hmm. saying, well, I'm not racist. I'm not going out there and committing hate crimes is not actually fixing the fact that we exist in a racist society. And the same thing is true when it comes to misogyny. I myself often find myself having misogynistic thoughts or reactions to things that I have to unpack for myself and go like, whoa, where did that come from? Why a woman can't be intelligent because she's post like this in a picture why did I have right right messaging and even the most like we internalize it even when it comes to ourselves you know like so horror phobia like it exists it's part of our culture and to pretend that it just doesn't exist or that it doesn't exist within you is just disingenuous really yeah and it's yeah and it's the norm it is. It's because with all of that, everything that you just said with, with the horror phobia, with racism, with all, it's just, it's, we don't, even the most, like I always say, oh, I, I, I was so lucky. Like my mom, you know, she went out from the time as little, it was like, you were not neither superior nor inferior to anybody else, regardless of anything. And I love that. And I thought I'm like, the I was Martin Luther King for a grade three speech thing. And, but I didn't realize, like, I think about things like growing up with colored pencils, you know, and like there was skin color and the skin color was like peach and that seemed normal. Like, that's so insane to me now. Like there's not just one. So, but it was just normal. And so it's, it's things that just become normal. So yeah, when it comes to sex and I'm the most like, this is me, whatever. But there are times I think people will be surprised before I'll post a picture or a video where I'm dancing. I'll be like, oh God, is this going to seem, is this going to seem like I'm trying to be too? And then I'm like, what am I doing? What do I care? Like, People do not hesitate when they post hateful shit, mm-hmm. but we still po- like hesitate when like, how am I going to seem? And is, am I going to seem too sexy? And is it going to, people are going to think that I want attention. And it's just like, oh my God, we're so focused on the wrong, on the wrong thing. So I think again, what it comes down to is have your opinions on whatever, but just educate yourself and know that there are real people involved and don't go off what you've learned forever because <laughs> we have to evolve and we have to change. Like that's what, that's what life is. That's what life is. That's progress. Right. And progress is scary as hell to people. But it's, it's, you know what? I think the people who are afraid of progress, progress they're afraid. Scary as hell to people who stand to benefit the most from things. Exactly. Are. And the thing is, though, 
the way I see it is progress for people who are benefiting now from the way things are. Yeah, it's scary, but not progressing is deadly to the people who need us to, to progress. And that's the difference. Yeah, you'll be uncomfortable for a bit because you won't have the whole world at your feet, but somebody else will be able to live, you know, won't want to kill themselves, won't be in danger because of the progress. And I think that that's, that we have to look at things on a bigger level. So I'm so grateful that you were here and that we had this, this conversation. I'm hoping that people will listen to this and realize how much they don't know about it. You know what I mean? Like, I really hope that this does make people go, oh, wait a minute. Hmm, maybe it's a bigger issue than, than I thought. And I, I know that was, that's the case for me. And like, I'm, I'm still learning and I, and I'm like frustrated by, by <laughs> the way things are. So um, I'm grateful that, that you are so outspoken because you're there for, for all of us who, who want to learn. So, and I am very entertained by your, what's your handle on Twitter? If anyone wants to uh, I think right now it's that pesky willow. <laughs> yeah. You changed it. Once upon a time, it was that pesky prostitute. But that was actually an old account that got banned. So a pesky willow. That pesky Aubrey, because that was my work name. And then when I came out with my real name more recently, because of the advocacy work that I was doing on mm. the real name, um, I changed the handle to that pesky willow. But it's at Aubrey Pesky, so A-U-B-R-I-E-P-E-S-K-Y. And I find it incredibly witty and entertaining. So I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that. So that's one step to just go check that out. So uh, anything else before I let you go? No, I don't think so. You're good? <laughs> Anytime you want to come back, if there's anything new, if there's anything you want to talk about, I'd love to have you back because uh, I find it really enlightening and really important. Thank you so much, Will. I loved meeting you. Thanks for chatting. All right. Take care. Take care, everyone. See you next time on How to Ruin Your Own Reputation. Don't forget to subscribe to How to Ruin Your Own Reputation. Available now everywhere you get your podcasts.